Welcome to the Transformative Podcast with me, Rosamond Johnston, and today we're joined by Dr. Veronica Pehe, who is the head of the research group for historical transformation studies at the Czech Institute of Contemporary History in Prague, and is currently with us here in Aritzet for the autumn. Veronica is about to bring out a hotly anticipated book about the 1990s and the changes that took place in Czech society at the time. But today we'll be speaking about another of her recently released publications, a volume co-edited with Joanna Vavrinyak titled Remembering the Neoliberal Turn, Economic Change and Collective Memory in Eastern Europe after 1989. Veronica, thank you very much for joining us and congratulations on your multiple new publication. Thank you and thanks for having me. As stated, I really wanted to ask you firstly about this volume you've recently brought out and specifically the terminology that you chose for its title. So you've referred there to the neoliberal turn rather than the term transformation, which you yourself use in your own research, uh, which we use at Redset and which is often used for discussing changes around about 1989 in Eastern Europe. So why did you go for neoliberalism as opposed to the more oft used transformation? When we were putting together this volume with Jana Bozhenyak, we wanted to focus on the memory of the economic aspects of this transformation from plant to market economy and how societies in Eastern Europe experience that on various levels. And as we were working on this volume, we were finding that different parts of society, different countries across the Eastern Bloc, also different disciplines were referring to this period of change in very different ways, from perestroika, vende, transition, transformation, reform. And we also found that the periodization of these changes also varies greatly across the region. So we were thinking, well, how can we actually term this process of change? And we found that what worked best and what is actually less perhaps imprecise then transformation is the neoliberal turn as a set of, in the first place, policies implemented in Eastern Europe as a process of economic change, but also as a kind of deeper, perhaps social and cultural change that also followed. This neoliberal turn did not happen at the same time in every Eastern European country, but it is a way also of saying that the changes that were happening in Eastern Europe were part of larger global economic developments taking place at least since the 1970s. And we did want to draw attention to the fact that the memory processes we're looking at are perhaps not entirely unique to Eastern Europe, even if the nature of this neoliberal turn in Eastern Europe was particularly condensed, which then does also affect the way it's remembered. So that leads to my next question. Uh, It's something that you mentioned in your book that Neoliberalism is a vocabulary that speaks to what's going on in other regions. But how global actually do you think the changes taking place in Eastern Europe around about 1989 were? Or do you think from the research that you've done, which is focused on the region, there are some really important specificities? I think the volume is essentially an invitation for further comparative research. We don't claim to do that kind of comparative research in the book, but we definitely do hope with Joanna that other scholars will take up this challenge because we do think that comparing the way economic change 
under the guidance of neoliberal policies has been remembered is something that manifests also in other regions, not only in regions that have also been seen as economies in transition or in transformation, but also in places like the UK or the US where perhaps some of these changes have been happening more gradually but processes like deindustrialization and privatization have also impacted not only economies, but also people's everyday lives. So one of the things that I think is really important about this book is that it insists upon the gendered dimension of transformation or the neoliberal turn. Can you discuss in a bit more depth what that gendered dimension looks like? I think it's very important to keep in mind that men and women had different experience of economic change. And this is then something that is also taken up in the memory of this period. And when we talk about memory, maybe I should specify that in the book, we focus on three different levels of memory. So one is the political level, something that we call the foundational myth of the transformation. This is the way memories of what happened in the 1980s and 1990s in the economic field are today mobilized by politicians or opinion makers, usually as a way of securing their own legitimacy. The other level we look at is the vernacular level. So the way different social groups remember this period of change. And we have various examples from different countries ranging from underprivileged groups, such as workers in privatizing industries through healthcare workers, women, and then also, for instance, top managers and business people. So the way this period is remembered definitely has a gender dimension, which is shown, for instance, in Joe Lacino's chapter on Romania, which I'd like to pinpoint here. She argues that women in Romania bore the brunt of neoliberal policies, especially with the closing down of particular industries and fewer job opportunities, also coupled with the state withdrawing various social welfare policies to do, for instance, with childcare. So basically the way Jill argues this period is remembered by women in Romania is as a kind of discrepancy between expectations of what these economic changes will bring and then the harsh reality. But the gender dimension doesn't manifest only in these vernacular memories. It's actually also a really important part of the cultural memory of the period. And this is the third level that we look at. Cultural memory refers to how economic change has been represented in various uh, media such as film and literature and television series. And there we can really see that cultural producers chose to tell stories about this period where economic opportunities for men and women are not equal. And while we often see cultural producers choosing men as kind of the protagonists and economic agents of change in the sense of them often being portrayed as businessmen or also perhaps as bandits, women are often seen as being able to advance economically only if they take advantage of their own bodies or if they are somehow in a secondary position to men. And these kinds of gender dynamics in these representations continue to inform the ways people view this period throughout the region, because we should keep in mind that cultural memory has the kind of longest durée of all these forms of memory. Films, literature, TV series, and so on, are repeated, continue to be read, and continue to actualize uh, these various uh, shared ideas of the past for audiences and readers today. So in your own chapter on Czechoslovak film, about this time, you make the claim that there's a particular aesthetics of 
the neoliberal term, which is a really interesting idea. I wondered if you could explain what concretely that might look like. In my chapter, I referred to a kind of simultaneous aesthetics of excess and deficiency. So I would point out that quite often cultural producers did not necessarily take up portraying economic policies explicitly. Both in the 1990s and in later representations, you will, for instance, very rarely get stories, I don't know, of closing mining towns and so on. Although we do have some interesting examples in the East German case in Anna Lux's chapter on film, where she argues that actually German cultural producers are beginning to really use economic change as a plot device rather than just a kind of backdrop. Um, But in my chapter, uh, I focus on a set of films from the 1990s, which are very much part of the cultural canon in the Czech Republic. And what I focus on is that on the one hand, market reform produced these very abrupt social transfers. Suddenly people could become very rich overnight or impoverished. And this was something that was very attractive to filmmakers at the time because there's a lot of drama in that. And so there's this kind of sense of excess in the sense that things are changing very, very quickly and people's social realities are kind of transforming very quickly. And often also this kind of notion of excess would be accompanied by kind of garish aesthetics. On the other hand, uh, there's also this notion of deficiency of kind of not being able to catch up with role models, which are usually understood as Western role models. So this is, again, something that is not only a feature of the Czech cultural memory of the period, but definitely appears throughout the region, the sense that the economic reforms, the neoliberal policies that are being introduced are supposed to allow these countries, these societies to catch up with the West, so to say. And quite often cultural producers took this up as a topic of portrayal to perhaps satirize or point out that this wasn't always a very successful or fulfilled expectation of the transformation era. You have suggested and you gestured to it earlier in this interview that the kind of memory wars about the 90s and the rollout specifically of neoliberal policies, it's not an even thing across the region of Eastern Europe that these memory wars are sharper or more fraught in some places than in others. I wanted to ask you what you attribute that difference to. One thing we have to keep in mind is that neoliberal transformation produced very large inequalities across Eastern European societies. And because of these inequalities, also the memory of these processes is very unequal. Some groups will emphasize the great success of race living standards and joining Western structures, while others will emphasize economic hardship for other groups. And so this is very much something that the different levels of memory in the different chapters in our volume also address. I think every Eastern European society has some kind of mnemonic conflict over this period of economic transformation. But the extent to which that conflict is salient within society and within public discourse depends on various factors. It certainly depends on the amount of perceived economic hardship that that society suffered during that time. But the voices of those underprivileged groups would not necessarily be heard if there weren't mnemonic entrepreneurs, as we could call them, or various political actors who have an interest in exploiting those types of memories for their own purposes. I think a really good example is Poland. If we look at Poland from this kind of macroeconomic perspective, quite often you'll hear this kind of assessment that of the formerly Eastern European countries, it's a country that did quite well. 
we could look at it that way. On the other hand, you'll also have lots of different social groups who will be saying, well, there was, you know, huge unemployment. A lot of people really went through a very hard and traumatic time. But maybe we wouldn't actually hear so many of those stories if the law and justice party wasn't also in place with a memory politics that is very much invested in exploiting the memory of hardship in the 1990s, because that's part of their political struggle with their liberal opponents, the civic platform, who they blame for some of these hardships and use that as a legitimizing strategy in their own bid for power. So to conclude, you suggest that there is probably a relationship between some forms of populist politics present in Eastern Europe today and the sorts of memories that you are tracing of the neoliberal turn. Uh, Can you characterise that relationship between populist politics and memories of the neoliberal turn? Well, certainly scholars have interpreted the rise of populism and political extremism as a consequence of the neoliberal turn of the 1980s and 1990s, not only in Eastern Europe. And this is also something that certainly invites a comparative perspective. And there is already research on comparative populisms that is doing precisely that. And in our volume, we take a look at how different populist or illiberal political actors have exploited the memory of economic upheaval following the collapse of state socialism, as we just uh, mentioned in the Polish case, but not only. And we have chapters dealing, for instance, with memory politics in Russia. We have Bulgarian example as well, and the example of East Germany. But I think we also need to be quite cautious about drawing very simple conclusions, because not all populists are interested in stirring mnemonic conflicts. And also certain types of exclusionary right-wing populists themselves pursue neoliberal policies. So it's not that simple to draw that kind of correlation between hardship in the 1990s and then populist political actors gaining ground in those societies. So I think we do need to pay attention to these different levels of memory, which are often in conflict with each other, also within one particular society. And analyzing this kind of nexus of different layers and the meanings attached to the process of economic transformation is, I think, where memory becomes a useful analytical lens. Thank you very much, Veronica Pehe, for joining us today. Thank you so much.